What is up, world? John Shute here again with another podcast. Today, I have the honor and privilege of being here with my good friend, Chris Day. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, John. <laughs> it's, great, uh, it's great to be on with you. Thanks so much for the invite. No problem, man. I, I've been wanting to do a podcast for you since we've met. You've been uh, totally an inspiration of mine since I first got in the industry. Um, it's really cool to see um, how you're life has evolved over the years and so and, and mine as well um, we've had the opportunity to do some really really cool events together all over the country um we've done some really really great things raising money for great organizations so i'm super yeah. proud of that um chris you you have maybe one of the most interesting minds in cannabis i've had a lot of conversations um i wanted to first maybe break down your personal story a little bit and then dive into some of the really cool projects that you're working on because um before we started the podcast as i mentioned um you have more a better global grasp on cannabis than most so i always think it's really valuable to hear where your head's at at any given moment in time um so first yeah first chris where are you from and another common question on my podcast is when did you first consume cannabis well um well we'll take the the them in order. I was actually born just outside of Detroit, Michigan, um, but grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Los Alamos and Albuquerque. My dad was uh, worked for Los Alamos Labs. And so really, I always, if people ask me, where are you from? I always answer originally New Mexico, but born out of Detroit, which is a fun conversation to have. Um, it's a <laughs> cultural juxtaposition for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've spent so much time over the years living in, um, different places that, uh, I think where you start, you know, really isn't, um, as relevant as, you know, where you want to be. And I've certainly found that being based out of Colorado is where I want to be. Um, and then spend as much time being a global citizen as I can. 100%. I know it's, it's like crazy to think how fast paced traveling my life was prior to COVID. You know, I said, I spent, I think, I think I spent more time with you in different states than here in Colorado. where we both Oh, live. Uh, absolutely. Without <laughs> a doubt. And, you know, now even would, would you while also, it's not my preferred oh, method of travel, I, I've spent a lot of time still this year you know, talking to people all over the place. Um, it's been, it's been a blessing in terms of saving the, uh, saving the travel budget. That's for sure. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to say, did, like Colorado wise, like, do you see the advantages? Like, are you coming from like a lifestyle and a business perspective? Like, cause this is just like, kind of like a mature cannabis market. There's a lot of professional yeah. sir. And then you also get the outdoors and that whole thing or? Yeah, it, I mean, interestingly, it has nothing to do with cannabis. Cannabis is a nice um, side benefit because that's the industry that we've chosen to be in. But um, my first stint living in Colorado was when I went to Colorado State up in Fort Collins. Mm. And that was, um, 
without dating myself too much. That was long before cannabis was legal <laughs> in the state of Colorado. And, um, you know, having grown up in New Mexico, Colorado was always where I went for vacations. Um, I am an outdoors kind of guy. I like to camp and hike and ski and snowshoe and do all the kinds of things that you can do, you know, out our back door. So for me, it's really the, the lifestyle and the wellness aspects that the state provides that attracts me to it. Um, when I moved back to Colorado to get into the cannabis industry uh, in 2017, after over a decade hiatus, it, I, I felt like I was coming home. So, yeah. and you know, I, what brought me home was the fact that we had this whole new industry to work in that didn't exist when I left. So it was pretty cool. And um, interesting. And is there, do you, do you have like a, um, like a lot of folks I talk to, they have a story of like when they first started consuming cannabis, which kind of leads into why they initially got into the industry. Um, yeah, I, I think my story is a little bit different. I, um, I didn't start uh, any type of cannabis consumption um, until much later in life than most. It's, you know, I was a good, um, I was good, well-trained um, product of the D.A.R.E. program, right? And <laughs> I was, I had, I had consumed plenty of propaganda to explain to me how um, terrible things were, but yeah. I've also always been a um, free thinker in the sense that if someone tells me that something is true, I'm, I'm going to question them to make sure. Uh, it's how I built my entire marketing and communications career. And so really what, what drove me into the cannabis space uh, when I was looking at entering, because you can find marketing challenges anywhere. Where yeah. What you can't find anywhere is sort of the challenge of overcoming nearly a century of absolutely horrific propaganda and figuring out how do we solve this problem? How do we bring, um, you know, clarity and justice where it's needed? Um, and that is a huge part of what motivates me. Certainly helping brands figure out how to sell more product or helping states figure out how to legalize or that kind of thing. Furthering research is important. But um, there's also very much a part of me that is infuriated by the lack of justice and the ignorance that exists. And so um, I I, I'm able to do both of those things uh, by entering. So that's really what brought me in. Um, I mean, I, as a cannabis consumer, I am um, one that uses it primarily medicinally for things like sleep problems, because I can't sleep worth a darn. And, you know, using, using them in, for sports applications and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's more where, where I reside and I love the plant and I'm thankful to the plant for providing those kind of healthy options that don't require the typical pharmaceutical drugs. Totally. Yeah. It's a huge reason why, reason why I got in the industry. I, I mean, I had a great job living a great life on the beach and had a bunch of friends struggling with opiates, um, and did a bunch of research on my own. 
you know, what better way to educate people than through marketing, which is what I was doing at the time. Um, and yeah, that kind of led into what I'm doing now. And I totally agree with everything you're saying. Like my, I feel like a lot of my motivation too is stemming from trying to make change and, um, you know, everything, everything you're touching on and with the brands and the marketing side of things specifically, it's, I think it's really cool that, you know, you and I and the other folks who are like-minded um, are able to guide people in the right direction um, in the mm -hmm. cannabis space, um, especially from just like an environmental community, social injustice perspective, because um, the industry deserves that. Um, yeah. And that's something that, you know, as I've talked uh, to people throughout the U.S. and then you know, when, when I founded the Global Cannabis Network Collective and started really bringing companies together around the world to help expand cannabis markets, um, you realize very quickly that while the words change and the angles change a little bit, many, many, many of the problems are the same. And, um, you know, sadly, a lot of what we did in the U.S., um, in terms of drug policy and that kind of thing have created not only a crisis in our own country, but a crisis around the world that uh, we, in my opinion, we have a responsibility to try and affect in whatever ways we can. Totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's really important for people to understand that too. Um, yeah, but it boggles, it, one thing that boggles my mind throughout this pandemic is that cannabis is essential here during something none of us have ever experienced before, but yet there's still folks who are in prison uh, for the plant. Um, it's, a, it's just kind of mind boggling. Um, that kind of leads into, you know, what you're currently working on, Project Evolve. Um, mm -hmm. I know you've been involved in different um, marketing and cannabis projects over the years, but um, this is kind of your own personal project. And yeah, tell us a little bit I, more. I I actually co-founded it with Jillian Reddish. So okay. Project Evolve as a company um, is a market is positioned as a marketing think tank, and we operate primarily in two verticals. One is the cannabis landscape, and the other is the events industry. Um, naturally, there's a fair amount of overlap there in most years. <laughs> This yeah. year, the, you know, the events um, industry has had to do a lot of redefining itself. Um, and so I have been working with a lot of uh, cannabis events in other parts of the world uh, to talk about, you know, how do you not lose traction in a year when you can't actually gather? Yeah. Um, so we're, we've, we've been doing some of that. Uh, but then in the cannabis space, uh, we, we do some true, you know, brand architecture and strategy work uh, for, for a number of companies. Um, in terms of tactical execution, I, I ran and functioned within ad agencies and PR agencies for almost 25 years before I came into cannabis. And um, I don't really have an interest anymore in doing sort of much in the way of tactical execution. So we partner with a lot of other really good shops um, around the country. Um, so I've got a nice network of 
of people there to do that. And, and we handle a lot of the, the strategy work and brand architecture and positioning messaging. Um, and then we also launched uh, this thing that I referenced earlier, uh, the Global Cannabis Network Collective, which is definitely where we're spending most of our time right now. It is a member-based organization of cannabis CEOs, lead scientists, researchers, um, investors, professionals who have multinational operations or soon will be multinational operators to help um, increase knowledge share, drive deal flow optimization, and really bring the global market together. Because just as in the United States, when you have a new state come up and there's a whole bunch of people who feel like they're alone and they don't know what the next steps are and they don't know how to do it, right? They look to other states to say, okay, who did things right? Who did things wrong? What can I learn? How can I do that? Well, that, that's the same thing that happens when a new country comes on board, right? If Ecuador came on board, which it did, it's gonna look to Colombia and Peru to say, all right, what are, what are we doing? How do we all work together, right? Yeah. Mexico, as we record this, Mexico yesterday passed its um, legal framework for medicinal cannabis. That's enormously powerful, right? So within the GCNC, we were talking to our members throughout Latin America yesterday about what are the short-term ramifications throughout LATAM with this new market in Mexico coming is, up. Is Mexico gonna be the largest market, medical market now? Uh, in the world by far. Yeah. Yeah, as a federal, as a legalized country nationally. Um, and actually I have a, um, a podcast recording myself tomorrow. I host international cannabis conversation on trichomes.com and um, oh, nice. with, with one of, with one of the leading, um, leading lobbyists in, um, in Mexico and I'll be hosting that conversation. So, Interesting. yeah. So we, um, you know, and that's what we do. We try to help inform and facilitate that knowledge to, to make sure that you've got responsible operations and people who have experience um, helping to, to build out the, the global landscape. Which is, which is super important. I've seen a lot of businesses uh, reach roadblocks, fail, um, because they relied on someone who had zero experience in the cannabis space for a number, whether it be infrastructure, operational, uh, product development, marketing, we end up taking over a ton of projects that people just have no idea what they're getting themselves into. Yep. Um, that's awesome. Where, so, I mean, I, I know this is probably a question you get on every podcast you're on, um, but where, where do you see the global cannabis market heading? Do you see the, just the a, a overall global legalization, decriminalization? Um, but well, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So in, in many ways that's already happening. Yeah. Um, right. For us audiences, if you don't spend much time looking at the world, I think sometimes we look at ourselves as leaders in the space, right? We definitely have lost that position. We lost it several years ago um, in, uh, in terms of the global cannabis landscape. There's, 
there is, however, you know, certainly an international movement that is somewhat led by Canada. Um, Canada certainly has been sort of the hub of international investment in the cannabis landscape for the last several years. You've got Europe at a continental level, um, at the EU level, really looking at how do you create systems that can regulate and control effectively the cannabis landscape. Uh, and, and various, up until yesterday, right, Germany was sort of the leading market in the world in terms of population size uh, for cannabis on the medicinal side. Really internationally, it's not exclusively a medicinal discussion, but pretty close. Let's say yeah. it's 95% a medicinal discussion, right? Um, and in South America, you've had a lot of countries coming on board with their policies. It, um, in a lot of ways, it indicates the weakening of the US position and chokehold on the international finance system and the international policies on drugs. You had the World Health Organization uh, recommendation taken up and approved to, de, um, to decrease the, the level of control. It would be like the US descheduling from schedule one, right? The World Health Organization recommended that um, that happened and that happened at the international level at the UN. And so there is this global movement to um, recognize the fact that regardless of the propaganda, there is valid research around the world that proves this plant has medicinal benefits and um, is not dangerous when used responsibly and ethically, right? So you've got Israel doing all kinds of medicinal research. Um, they're looking at tons of technology that can be used both for increasing um, cultivation efficiency, uh, absorption into the body, doing uh, studies on the various cannabinoids and the entourage effect and how all of those things work together. Um, would you say Israel is leading the research front? I, I would say so. I mean, there's a lot of research happening in a lot of places, but well, they've been doing it for opinion, the longest, right? They've been doing it a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I talked, I talked to Abhishek Mohan, who is the CEO of Hemp Street in New Delhi, India, a couple of weeks ago, right? And that market, while it's sort of got various levels of policies, they've had a relationship through the Ayurvedic uh, medicine culture that exists in India for over 3000 years, right? And so there's, there's all of these things happening, South America, Australia, Europe, Asia, um, Central America, you know, Canada here, we're really, we're the laggards at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and so where, what does that mean for the future? Um, you know, if you go to the Brightfield group, they put out a pretty cool uh, report in Q4 of last year, looking at the European landscape and the potential income if things go right, potential revenue opportunities generated by cannabis. And um, I mean, the numbers are, are astronomical simply because there's this pent up demand that has been 
sort of falsely held back for a century. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, wow. What do you think? Um, is there are there any companies out there that you're really impressed by all around that are at a global level that you you, you would suggest people maybe look into? Um, I won't. I won't make any like I don't play the invest in this company game type stuff. No, not from not from I, an investment perspective. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some companies that I've talked to that I think are really interesting normally because they're doing really interesting stuff and not playing up all the hype right they yeah. aren't trying to get the headlines they're just doing their thing because it's what their company does yeah um you know one of them is say little green pharma out of perth australia so they have medicinal grade cannabis oils they have a um market domestically in Australia. They've created partnerships with insurance companies now down there. So there's insurance reimbursement for those products in Australia in certain cases. Um, but then they knew that if they just stayed in the domestic market of Australia, which is relatively speaking pretty small, you yeah. know, they had a cap. They're publicly listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and they now have products on the shelves in the UK and um, as of about three weeks ago, available in Germany as well. Wow. This is the work necessary to make that happen is immense, right? Yeah. You gotta get your, you gotta get your products and then you've got to get um, EU GMP certified to even consider going into Europe. Uh, you got to deal with all of the export licenses. You got to maintain your brand and what's going on domestically in Australia. Like you look at companies like that, which, yeah, they get some coverage, but nothing like what some of the, the other companies that are always trying to push the headlines are doing just to drive yeah. up their stock price. Right. Um, so I like little green pharma. I talked to um, the founders do they, of, a do company. they have any, do they have any patents or anything like that on their formulations and stuff? Is that? Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, you've got to have that kind of protection, right? Yeah. So, and then there's an another good example that I really like out of um, Israel is this company called MyCrops. Um, and I think I've heard of them. They have, what originally hooked me is they have this app, right? That you can take a picture of the flower that you're looking at provided it's a high THC flower, there's some restrictions and, but it'll come back and tell you essentially what the THC content is. So that flower through a picture. There's what? some, there's <laughs> some really cool science behind it that makes that work. But you know what, once I got to talk to their chief science officer and their CEO, I realized that actually is not the coolest thing about them by far. They are using high res imagery technology. Um, and a, an enormous database of hundreds of thousands of images to do predictive analytics within grow facilities to get ahead of disease and contamination. Whoa. So, right. 
So imagine if you have all of your greenhouses and your grow facilities with their cameras in there, and instead of having to inspect every single plant all the time to check for disease or infestation or contamination, you, you get a notice through the, your relationship with microps and it says, hey, you wanna check this plant because we're detecting a potential problem. Um, Holy shit. The, the cost efficiency of that and the ability to ensure that you don't lose an entire harvest, for example, is um, pretty cool. And they have- Amazing. Test, yeah, they have test facilities in various parts of the world already up and running. I mean, this, they're doing this, it's not theory. Um, and it's very quiet, <laughs> right? Wow. Like a handful Dude, that's of a complete game changer. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah, and that's on the cultivation side. So, you know, you've got companies like Little Green Pharma doing great things, getting products, medicinal grade product into international markets to help patients. Um, and at the same time, you know, advocating for things like insurance reimbursement in the markets they're in. You have microps helping cultivators do things more efficiently out of Israel. Um, we have companies like Can Farm out of Peru that they, in the U.S., we would say they're an organic company, but they don't even define themselves that way, right? It's just what they do. And so there's a whole discussion on how do you, um, you know, grow crops safely? It's a discussion that happens all the time in agriculture. Yeah. Um, it's now finally catching up in the international markets, um, at, frankly, at a pace greater than what we have in the United States, I think. Interesting. Chris, where can people find, I know um, your Project Evolve information is on alwaysdriveinnovation.com. Uh, um, do you have a, is there a separate website for your collective or is that information on there as well? Um, it's there. If you just go alwaysdriveinnovation.com forward slash cannabis, um, that'll get you there right away. And of course, people can listen to um, me pontificate on stuff with people at International Cannabis Conversation uh, on trichomes.com. That's a bi-weekly deal right now. Um, cool. In February or March, it'll probably go weekly. I just, this year is start off busy. It takes time. So, and we want to yeah. do it right. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, well, thanks so much for your time. I, I, I really appreciate it. I feel like I could, I, I have a million questions myself. We're going to probably have to do another podcast again sometime. Sure. Um, yeah. And email me. People can email me at chris.day at alwaysdriveinnovation.com. Happy to, happy to talk about this kind of stuff all day long. Cool. And for all, all you listeners out there, I'll include Chris's email uh, in the podcast description and in the corresponding blog that I'll produce. Thank you very much, Chris, and have a good day, everyone. Thanks, everybody.